seven, something like that. And there was a bumper sticker on the back that was upside down. Anybody ever see that? Or is it just me? Maybe you saw one. There's a bumper sticker upside down. And what the bumper sticker said is, if you can read this, turn me over. Now, you understand a Jeep, right? Yeah. If you can read this, turn me over. So when the Jeep was right side up, the bumper sticker was upside down, and it didn't make sense. When the Jeep was upside down, the bumper sticker was right side up, and that sticker made sense. And it kind of makes me think about the world that we live in today, doesn't it? And the, the message of the gospel. You know, if you think about, if you think the world is right side up this morning, if you really believe the world's right side up, let me tell you, the gospel is going to seem upside down to you. And if you believe that, that this world is upside down, I'll tell you what, the gospel is going to make perfect sense, doesn't it? Yes, absolutely. But like a Jeep that is upside down, the question we have today from our text is, how can we turn the world right side up? How do we do that? I mean, do, I think we can agree the world's kind of upside down right now. I think we can agree with that. So how is it that we turn the world right side up? Now look in our text here this morning. And Paul and Silas have now made it to the city of Thessalonica. If you're Greek, you may say Thessaloniki. We don't say that because you might be Brother Chuck, our, our Greek is not here today. But uh, you might say Thessaloniki. We say Thessalonica. It was the city here in Greece. And if you notice in verse 1 of our text, they have already gone through two cities. They went through Amphipolis, Amphipolis and they went through uh, Apollonia. Now, Brother Jim pronounced it a little bit different, and it almost messed me up because I worked so hard to say Apollonia. And uh, he, he almost got me, but I'm, I'm back. Apollonia. So Paul went through Amphipolis, and he went through Apollonia to get to Thessalonica. And I don't know about how your mind works, but my mind is looking at this and I think, why did you skip over two cities with the gospel? Why did you not stop in Amphipolis and why did you not stop in Apollonia? Well, history tells us that uh, Thessalonica at that time was a city of about 200,000 people. And what we know is that Amphipolis and Apollonia were very, very small cities. So we come away and we say, well, did Paul not care about these two cities? Well, no, on the contrary. I believe he cared very much about these two cities, so much that he went to the largest city possible to establish a church that could for very many, many years from Thessalonica reach out to Apollonia and Amphipolis with the gospel more effectively then maybe Paul could have done starting some little bitty church there with about two people that might not have ever grown to do anything effective like the church at Thessalonica could. I don't want to get on a hobby horse this morning, and I'm thankful for all of where all of our missionaries go. But I'm telling you, this is a great outline for missions today that we find a nice large city to set up a church and we can reach those outlying communities with the gospel. My brother is in, my brother is in, uh, uh, what's that, where is he at? I don't know where he is right now. Uh, where are they? Melbourne, Australia. They're in Melbourne, Australia. Been there about 14 years now. And you know what he did? They purposely went to Melbourne because of the size of the city. And the, the way that Australia is set up, you get outside of those large cities and you've heard the outback, you've seen it. There's nothing out there. 
There's nothing out there. And so you know what they do? They go to a large city, they build a good-sized church, and that church begins to go out and reach those smaller communities with the gospel that way. This is what Paul's doing. This is what Paul is doing here in Thessalonica. And you notice here what he's used to doing at every place that he does go. We see here, it says in verse 2, notice this please, after in Paul, as his manner was, this is what he normally did, he went in, in unto them, uh, Three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the Scripture. So what did he do in verse 1? He found the synagogue. Now, if you remember from our previous studies in Acts, how many men did you have to have in order to start a synagogue? Anybody remember that number? Number 10. Amen. Somebody remember that? You had to have 10 men in order to start a synagogue. Well, here in Thessalonica, there was plenty of Jewish men to start a synagogue. So Paul went directly to the synagogue and it says here that he spent three Sabbath days, verse 2. He spent three weeks, uh, it says, opening and alleging through the scriptures. Notice what he alleged through the scriptures. Notice what he opened up through the word of God and showed them. Watch this, that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead and that this Jesus whom I preach unto you is Christ. And you might ask yourselves, we know Paul would write some letters. We know some of the uh, New Testament might have might have been written by this time. And you might think, well, what on earth did Paul reason out of the scriptures with? Would have been the Old Testament, right? What does Timothy say? All scripture is given by inspiration of God and it's profitable, profitable for doctrine, for correction, for instruction and righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. The word of God, it's all inspired of God. That word inspired, oh, let let, let me just add this for for a little extra credit here. Uh, Inspired means God breathed. The writers were not inspired. They were moved along with the Holy Ghost. The words are inspired. And we have the preserved Word of God this morning for the English-speaking people in the King James Bible. And we believe that this morning. And I think we do, right? Are we good? Okay. Well, that's that's an easy one to say amen at. That's easy. So here he is reasoning through the Scriptures with these Jews, Paul himself, a Pharisee, Paul himself on the council of the Sanhedrin, Paul himself studying under the, at the feet of Gamaliel, uh, one of the, probably the most brilliant minds you could have imagined at this time was the Apostle Paul. And what he did for three weeks, he went back to the Old Testament and he showed them out of the Old Testament that, the, that Christ must suffer and that he must rise from the dead. I'm sure he went to Isaiah 53. I'm sure he went to the 22nd Psalm. He might have gone to the 16th Psalm in verse 10 when it says, Wilt thou leave my soul in hell, and thou will not cause thy holy one to see corruption. Maybe he went to Hosea. He had three weeks. Maybe he went to Zechariah. I'm sure maybe he went back to Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15 where it said, The seed of the woman is is going to bruise the head of the serpent. Maybe he went back to all of that and showed them through the scripture that Jesus Christ, or let me, well, he would have said at this point that the Messiah, that the Messiah would suffer and die. Would you listen to Isaiah 53? Look, listen to what Isaiah said in prophecy 700 years before the Jesus was ever born. He hath no form nor comeliness. 
And when we shall see him, there shall be no, there is no beauty that we should desire him. Listen to this. He is despised and rejected of man, a man of sorrow and acquainted with grief. And we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. Listen to this prophecy now. 700 years before Jesus Christ. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. Listen to verse 7. Isaiah goes on to say he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shears is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. Sound familiar of the crucifixion scene? Verse 9, And he made his grave with the wicked, and with the rich at his death. He, he laid in the grave of Joseph of Arimathea, a rich man. Because he had done no violence, neither was there any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Would you think about that for a moment? That God the Father was pleased, was pleased to see the crucifixion of His Son. I don't know if we stop and ponder that long enough, really. I don't know if you, have, if you have children, if you have sons. I don't know if anybody in this planet would give up their child for the release and the forgiveness of some criminal. But here we have revealed here that it pleased the Father, it pleased God to bruise Him, the Messiah. He hath put Him to grief. When thou shalt make His soul an offering for sin, He shall see His seed, He shall prolong His days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in His hand. Yeah. So Paul went back, no doubt, to Isaiah 53. And showed these men of the synagogue, showed these Jews who knew there was a coming Messiah, who believed in a coming Messiah, showed them through the scriptures and reminded them of all of the details of what the coming Messiah would be and what he would do. And he got done with it all. And this is what he alleged. This, this, this Messiah, this Messiah is Jesus Christ. Now there's a problem that the Jews had. Some rabbis taught that there were going to be two messiahs. Some believed there was going to be Meshach ben, ben Joseph, and some believed there was going to be Meshach ben David. Messiah, Meshach, Messiah ben, son of Joseph. They believed there was going to be one messiah, the son of Joseph, who was going to be a messiah of suffering, as in the Joseph that went down into Egypt. And they also believed that there's going to be another messiah, messiah, son of David, who was going to rule, uh, who was going to rule with a rod of iron and was going to rule this world. But they were wrong about this. Because what we see and we understand is that Jesus is both of these. He's both of these. He came and he suffered and he died. But on the third day, as the scripture said, he came out of the grave alive, alive forevermore. Amen. He is alive. And one day, listen to me, he's going to sit on the throne of David in Jerusalem physically, and he's going to reign for a thousand years on the earth. Yeah. This is our Messiah. And this is who the Apostle Paul is pointing them to. That through the Old Testament scriptures, there is going to be a Messiah. 
and he's going to suffer, and he's going to die, and he's going to raise again the third day. And Paul said, it is Jesus Christ. He has come. He has come. (laughs) Do you believe that this morning? Some of these Jews here did as well in verse 4. And some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas and the devout Greeks, a great multitude, and of the chief women, not a few. Pretty good outcome. Three weeks of labor in the Scripture. (laughs) You know what happened? People came away and they believed it. They believed it. And here we have the beginning of the first church at Thessalonica. Later, Paul is going to write to this church two letters, first and second Thessalonians. And we're going to look at that here in just a second. But as is normal when the gospel comes and comes into an area, when people's lives begin to get changed, when people's lifestyles change, when the gospel takes effect in people's life, what is normal is trouble comes, doesn't it? Yeah. It's like God gives you a little honeymoon period when you get saved and and it seems like everything is wonderful, everything's fine. It's always going to be this way. And I'll tell you what, a little bit while later, Satan shows up. Yeah. Trouble comes. Look at verse 5, would you please? But the Jews which believed not, believed not, they rejected the truth of the gospel. They moved with envy and took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort. Rather poetic to say bunch of, they went and got a bunch of dirt bags, right? I like that. Lewd fellows of the baser sort, and gathered a company and set all the city in an uproar, on an uproar, and assaulted the house of Jason, and sought to bring them out to the people. So these unbelieving Jews, the ones that rejected the gospel, they became envious. Why? There's competition now. Why, why, why are they envious? Well, they're losing membership in the synagogue. And they're leaving the synagogues and they're joining together as a body and they've become a church here. And so these Jews, they went and they rounded up a bunch of lowlifes. This word lewd means wicked. They found some wicked men. Watch this, this little phrase here. Of the baser sort. That word baser there means, this is fascinating, it means frequenting the marketplace, hucksters, Idlers, loungers. <laughs> These were the guys that just hung around the marketplace trying to rip people off. No, they weren't out working. They weren't out with a job. They're just hanging around day after day trying to make a quick buck off the, off the next dummy that comes along. These are who the Jews got. They rounded these guys up, these wicked men that just hung around and did nothing all day. They got them out. They brought them together. And uh, to bring a charge against these new believers. How many, how many know the attorney David Gibbs? How many? I know some, some know CLA. He related a story one time. I can't, re- I can't, I wouldn't have time to relate the whole thing. But, but in basis, basically he said this. They got to know a certain individual who had a certain reputation and not a very good track record. Uh, he, had a, he had a record, a long record, and uh, he was not one that you would probably go to uh, uh, for anything righteous whatsoever. And I forget the whole events of everything that went on, but um, 
uh, he eventually he told Brother Gibbs one day of the Christian Law Association. He said this: "Hey, if you ever need a character witness, just let me know. I'll help you out." <laughs> and Brother Gibbs said, I, "He was the last one I would ever call for a character witness." But watch this: he wouldn't. He didn't care if he knew what the case was, or he was just ready to be a character witness because he liked David Gibbs so much. He didn't even have to know what the case was about. He would vouch for him. And uh, I remember this story. It was so funny. This, this is kind of the guys that, that they got out of the marketplace. Not somebody that had any idea what was going on or that you would even take of any sense of honesty whatsoever that you'd use and say, yeah, yeah, let, let's come along and let's help me here for this righteous thing that I'm trying to do. No, no, these were wicked people of the baser sort. And they brought them before this council, before the city, and they accused them that they had turned this city all upside down. Notice what they do here. They go to Jason, this guy Jason's house. They get this posse together, all right? They're going out. The city's in an absolute uproar. They get the posse together, and they show up at this guy Jason's house. And they're looking for Paul and Silas, and they weren't there. They had, they had got, let them go. And, and so when they weren't there, they went ahead and just drug Jason out of his house. All right? And they begin to charge him. Look at verse 6, would you please? And when they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren under the rulers of the city, crying, These that have turned the world upside down are come hither also. So this is the charge. These Jews that are, that are kind of upset right now because all of these people have left their congregation. They believe the gospel. They believe that Jesus is Messiah. They're upset. And this is the charge that they bring before the rulers that these people have come and they have set the world upside down. Actually, it's pretty a good, that's a pretty wonderful charge actually. It's not a bad charge. Yeah, here, two charges. They've turned the world upside down. Look at this. And they have come here also. Notice that phrase. They have come here also. Do you know it's amazing how word gets around? We think of technology and how quick we live in a 24-hour news cycle, right? Something happens over here and about three minutes later, the world knows about it. There's terms... Oh, what's that term? Viral? You've ever heard that? It went viral. I, I think I, I finally understood what that means. But uh, everybody, it's like a virus. Well, some viruses. Oh, no, stop. Um, it's everybody, everybody gets it, right? Sometimes. Uh, oh, boy. Focus, focus. Okay. Word gets around. Word is, it's amazing how quickly word gets around. Remember Rahab, that harlot in Jericho, when the spies came to spy out Jericho and she hid him up in, the, up in her house and she said what? She knew, all of Jericho knew what was going on. They knew what Israel had done. They knew how Israel was coming forward and what they had done to, the, to the, some of these other countries as they came through. And they said, our hearts melted within us. Word had gotten round what was going on. Remember the Queen of Sheba. 
when she came to Solomon and she came for herself to see what, what, what all this news was going on in Israel and with this King Solomon and his greatness and everything that was going on. And so and she got to look around Israel. She got to watch uh, Solomon ascend up into the temple and, and the happiness of the people and the joy of Israel and the wealth and all that they had. And she said, the half has not been told me. What happened? Word had gotten out of what life was like in Israel. And see, here we see here also, look what they say here. They have come here also. They have come hither also. Watch this. Word was spreading throughout the world that this Jesus, this Messiah that they're preaching, is turning the world upside down. Yeah. They had heard about this. And here was their charge. They've come here now also. Great. It's like a band of locusts showed up or something, you know. We, we knew they were coming, but now they're here. Watch out. Here. Let me give you another word for this. Testimony. Testimony. <laughs> the Jews in Thessalonica had heard about the doctrine of of Paul and Silas, they've heard the gospel, about the gospel. And the Jews in Thessalonica knew what was happening across the world. People were putting their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And because of the radical change in their life and the push to evangelize the world, unbelieving Jews had already heard about these uh, nutcases and they're accusing them of turning the world upside down. Watch this. They had a testimony of what they believed. And they had such a testimony that it was going throughout the known world. It was getting to places before they ever showed up. Yeah. Can I make, let me make this observation before we go on. The accusation was that they turned the world upside down. The world's already upside down. We're not turning the world upside down. We're turning it right side up. <laughs> yeah. This was their charge, but it was, it was a wrong charge. We're not, we're not turning it upside down. We're, try, we're attempting to turn this world right side up. So how was it? How was it that they had such a testimony? How was it that the charge of turning the world upside down, how was it that that charge could stick? What was it about it? Well, they had a testimony because there is something real in their life. No, they had a testimony because there is a difference in their life. They had a testimony because there was something contagious about their life. They had, a, they had a testimony because there was something desirable about their life. They had a testimony because of the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They had a testimony. So, what made the difference? We know they had a testimony, but what made the difference in the lives of these, these New Testament believers, what made the difference in their life that they had such a testimony? Would you do this please and look back in verse 4? 
Look at verse 4 again. Some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas. And of the devout Greeks, a great multitude, and the chief women, not a few. I want you to notice a single word in this fourth verse, would you please? If you have a habit of marking in your Bible, you may do that, whatever you'd like. And there's the word there, consorted. Consorted. I'm kind of a geek, I like words like that. Sometimes when you're reading your Bible, you ever cross a word and it seems so typical, and something's telling you, look that up. Holy Spirit said, you might, you, might, you might want to look that word up. There's more there than you think. And when I looked at this word, it's, do you realize that word, that Greek word there that's, that's translated consorted, is only used one time in the New Testament? And it's used right here in verse 4. It's never used again. One time. So I went to my trusty Webster's 1828 dictionary, and it says to unite in company. Yeah, okay. I thought it's got to be more than that. So I... Uh, Went to the Oxford English Dictionary. Actually, the if you want to know British a little bit, the, the King James is British. A lot of it's British English. The Oxford English Dictionary is a great dictionary for that. And Webster's is a great dictionary as well. But uh, sometimes we... Uh, and if anybody has $1,200 and wants to buy me the whole Oxford set, uh, you know, the Lord bless you, we'll let you do that. It's very expensive. <laughs> I'm joking. That is a joke. But if you go to the Oxford English Dictionary... It says this, habitually associated with, hmm. typically with the disapproval of others, <laughs> to agree with or be in harmony with. Did you catch the first part of that definition? Habitually associate with. Let's we know what that word habitually means. A habit. They were doing something. They were making a habit in their life. What was the habit in their life they were associating with? Paul and Silas, they were associating with the gospel. Listen, this goes beyond pure agreement. This goes beyond just a mental assent to the gospel. Their association with Paul and Silas, their association with the gospel of Jesus Christ, it changed their lifestyle. They were habitually associated with Paul and Silas. Watch this. Their habits became what the habits of Paul and Silas were. Their habits became the habits of Jesus Christ. The, the habits that were Paul and Silas, the habits that were of, of Jesus Christ, they became the habits, of these, the habits of these believers that got saved. Remember Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ? Yeah. Watch this. They didn't merely believe the gospel. Listen to me, please. They lived the gospel. They lived it. You know what happens when you live the gospel? Not just believe it, when you live it in your daily life, you begin to turn the world right side up. Now think about this. If the world is upside down, and your life is living like the world, what counter, what counter force is there to turn a world right side up when you're living just like them? 
They consorted. They consorted with Paul and Silas. They believed, look at this, and consorted. Not only did they believe, but their belief, their belief turned to habit into their lifestyle. You know what? I love it when the Holy Spirit, by the use of just one single word, reveals a great key in the success of the Christian life. You see, what's made the difference in Thessalonica, what has made the difference in Asia Minor, what has made the difference everywhere Paul has preached, was the change in the life of believers when they believed the gospel. They didn't just believe the gospel. Watch. They actually lived out the gospel, which is, like I said, totally contrary to the world. Do you know Paul actually wrote about this when he wrote to this church later on in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 6 and 8? He said, And ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost. Watch this. Listen. So that ye were in samples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. And from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to Godward is spread abroad, so that we need not to speak anything. (laughs) No, they believed the gospel and they began to live the gospel. And when they lived the gospel, the testimony of their life went out throughout the, throughout the known world that they had a testimony that they lived the gospel. It went out. It absolutely went out. James reminds us in James 1.22, what does he say? Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. Do you know what happens when you know the word of God and we refuse to live the word of God? Self-deception. Self-deception. And we begin to layer, layer upon layer upon layer of deception to the place where you look at a Christian's life and you think, are they a Christian? You see, when you consort, when you consort with the Lord Jesus Christ, the world will know it. The world will know. And only then will a town, a city, a state, a country, a world, only then will a location have the testimony that you've turned it upside down. Yeah. So let me ask you this morning, we're, we're going to finish up here. Who are you consorting with? Who are you habitually associating with? You're saying, this is Sunday morning. This is so mean. This was supposed to be nice. (laughs) I'm just preaching the text. We're just here, okay? Acts 17, we're going through Acts. Who are you consorting with? Do you have a testimony? Do you have a testimony? Does Calvary Baptist Church have a testimony? No, I, 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 I would to God that we would. I would to God that when people would be in Nixon around the, uh, the, the 
the air outlying areas of Nixon. They see our tracks and they see them at wherever tracks may be. They go, oh yeah, that's that, that's that place there off, off 14. Yeah. yeah. And when they see us walking the streets and knocking on doors and, and, and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ door to door like we were told to do, they'd go, oh yeah, there, there goes them. I know them. I know who they are. No, we, we, we have a, we have a, do you have a testimony? Does Calvary Baptist Church have a, a testimony? Do people in the community see us in our life, in our joy, in the way that we walk about, in the way that we deal, and say, oh yeah, I know where they go to church. They must be one, they must be one of those people. Yeah. Do you have a testimony? I mean, you do. But what, test, but, but what does it reveal? What does our testimony reveal who we consort with? You know, the world needs to be turned right side up. We, we know this. We know this. But it'll never happen. It'll never happen in this city. It'll never happen in this county. It'll never happen in this state. It'll never happen in the U.S. It'll never happen in the world until believers begin to consort with Jesus Christ. Even if it means the disapproval of the world. And it will. It will. Yeah. And really, I... We look at the scene where we are today in our country. And we've had enough time. We've had plenty of time to try and live like some churches have been preaching over the last 50 years. We've had time to try it out. And if you look at the scene around our nation and around churches today, we can probably pretty well see it didn't work, did it? No impact on society anymore. No impact for righteousness anymore. I remember listening to a radio show. <laughs> he used to be on, some of you might remember, Neil Bortz was on the radio before he, obviously before he retired. That was kind of re- redundant. Uh, and he made this statement, and of course he was an un- he's an unbeliever, and uh, he, he made this statement about why he was so mad at the Baptists. He's from Atlanta. He was so mad at the Baptists in Atlanta because you can't go out on a Sunday afternoon and go to a restaurant and get any, anything to drink. You can't get any alcohol. He said, because of the Baptists here. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> yeah. And he, he, he was really frustrated at him. Yeah. Dad of testimony, don't they? You know, if we're going to reach our city, if we're going to reach the world, if you're going to reach your family, if you're going to reach your kids, you're going to have to start living the gospel. Living it. May God help us this morning. May God help us to habitually associate with the Lord Jesus Christ and live the gospel. Are you living it today? Are you living it? Father, we need your help. 
We're thankful for the testimony of the church at Thessalonica. We're thankful for the testimony of all of those believers that were coming about in Asia Minor, that were coming about, coming out of Antioch and going all throughout the known world there, that testimony that they had that went ahead of them, that went before them, that they're just turning the world upside down. Wouldn't it be a glorious thing today if Calvary Baptist Church had the testimony in a community that they're out there just consorting with this Jesus fellow and they're just turning the world upside down. God, would you help us to live the gospel today? We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't we stand?